Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. So recently, I've started watching the show The Masked Singer. And I mostly started watching it because it had come up in conversation with friends a couple of times, and I really wanted to see what all the fuss was about. So for those of you who don't know about The Masked Singer, it is a competition, a singing competition. But instead of people we don't know, it's not to discover people, it's with well-known or famous people who dress full from head to toe in costumes so you can't see a single identifying mark of who they are. So there's like a unicorn or a raven or a bee. You can't see their face, and they sing for a panel of judges and an audience who then try to guess who that person is. And each week before a singer sings, clues are given to help the panel figure out who they are, kind of. And so the panel is also allowed to ask some questions, and they give some guesses as to who the person is. And sometimes they're right, most of the time they're not. And at the end of each episode, one person who did not win their face-off is unmasked, and you discover who that person is. Who is this? I need to know who this is are refrains that you hear a lot during performances. There's lots of guessing. It's very addictive, which is why we had to cut ourselves off at three episodes last night. This is the question of Christmas and Epiphany, though, as well. Who is this? What child is this that's been born? And while we talk about the Epiphany, which happened on Thursday, it happens every January 6th, as I mentioned in the announcements, 12 days after Christmas. So while we talk about it as being a manifestation of being a light bulb turned on for us to know who Jesus was, the question always remains, who is this? I need to know who this is plagues Jesus and his followers most of their lives. Herod asks this question very early on when the Magi come calling, assuming they come calling to Herod because they assume that the king of the Jews would be where the powerful are. So they go to Herod and say, where is the king of the Jews? And he has no idea what they're talking about. So he calls the scribes who then look in all the prophecies. The Magi are given a little bit more information and they leave following the star toward Bethlehem. It's not far from Jerusalem. But as they leave, Herod worries. Each year, we hear this story of Matthew's, the arrival of the Magi, and we realize, hopefully, that their arrival changes the story that had been told up until that point. Their arrival indicates an incredible shift that is happening in the world because of this child who was born. And if we consider who Luke's angels appear to, the shepherds, and who the child is born to, a carpenter and an unwed young woman. And then we take in the story of the Magi, we can see a pattern developing, can't we? We realize that God with us isn't just a lovely saying meant to pacify the weary masses. This story, which we try to neatly complete on Epiphany, is that the creator God enters human history again in a real and tangible way to create new life, 
a new world order, a world order that is centered around love and inclusion, a world order that looks beyond the individual to the whole. It reminds me of when the slaves of Egypt were freed and God created a new kind of community focused on, wait for it, love and inclusion. The Magi story reminds us that God's love is expansive beyond what we can imagine, that it is revolutionary then and now. In Matthew's Gospel, the Magi point the way forward to the impact that Jesus will have upon human societies and the things that will vie for our loyalties for millennia. It's important to note that the Magi found Jesus because they were open to the activity of God in the world, even though they were not a part of the Jewish people. So often, the people of God rest on what has come before, of the faith and promises given to their ancestors. And while that is important and good to know, it is for all people of God to seek God, to know the scriptures, to be open to what God is doing in the world. Jesus will warn against resting on the promises given to the ancestors. John certainly did. We heard that a few weeks ago. You brood of vipers, he says. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. Because of these words, the people were trying to figure out who John was as much as Herod and the Magi were wondering about this child. Because people were filled with great expectation. They were looking, wondering about the Messiah, and John seemed to fit the bill. I mean, they had all sorts of guesses as to who John could be, Elijah or a prophet, perhaps the Messiah, perhaps something else. I'm sure there were many more guesses than were recorded by the gospel writers. People, like the panel of judges and my family, we wanted to know who this person was. And John becomes very clear about who he is and what his role is. The good news John proclaims means calling people's action into account and letting them know that something better was coming. John was not the Messiah. But we already know that John didn't pull his punches, you brood of vipers. John was an equal opportunity exhorter. And so he called Herod's actions out for what they were, bad. But that didn't go over well. Most people in power don't like to be told that. And so John was put into prison. And then Jesus enters the scene as an adult. Up until this time in Luke's gospel, we've been introduced to him as a baby and as a child. So finally we begin to see what all the fuss is about. Only Luke kind of goes rogue here in telling of Jesus' baptism. Did you realize that as you were listening, or did your mind, like my mind, fill in a whole bunch of details? Because Luke doesn't really tell us about the baptism at all. None of the details are there that the other gospel writers include. Jesus is baptized with all the other folks, and we don't even know if it was John who actually baptized him. In Luke's gospel, it's only after the baptism, when Jesus is somewhere else in prayer, that we hear the famous proclamation, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. 
In Luke, the baptism story is two verses long, and the baptism gets the shorter of the two verses. So it's probably important for us to pay attention to those differences because this is key for us in the Gospel of Luke. In this Gospel, Jesus prays, but Jesus prays before every big event. We'll see Jesus praying before the transfiguration, before the appointment of the 12 disciples, before his conversation with the disciples about his identity. We'll see it when he actually, before he teaches about prayer. And of course, we'll see it when he's in the garden before his death. Prayer is important for Luke. For Luke, it's the moment when people receive guidance from God, when they find themselves cooperating with God in the world. When the gospel of Jesus Christ, this new creation of a world order, might begin to make sense. Prayer is an important spiritual practice for the people of God. It's a practice that invites in the Holy Spirit, who is key to us knowing God and ourselves better. In Luke, John talks about Jesus burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. And while I do think we need to ask questions about that image, especially in the light of Jesus, I found my mind this week wondering if prayer isn't a way to burn off the chaff in our lives. I mean, is prayer a way to help us focus on what is important, the wheat, and burn away that which isn't, the chaff? In the song that we're going to sing in a few minutes, verse 3 says, Come celebrate, your banners high unfurling, your song and prayers against the darkness hurling. To all the world go out and tell the story of Jesus' glory. I love this verse. It's why I chose this song for today. Because if prayer was the way that Jesus faced moments of his life, the way that he was reminded who he was and who God was, then can our prayers be anything less? Are our prayers not the very weapon against the evil of this world that will tell us anything but we are beloved of God? Songs and prayers are our power because there is darkness all around us and within us. The only task of the evil one is to distract us from God's great love found in Jesus. Our way of staying focused is exactly how Jesus stayed focused, through prayer and isn't song, prayer done twice? I think Bach said that. It won't be long before Jesus will encounter the evil one in the desert. It's the next story. He would not have been able to do that if first he hadn't been reminded of whose he is and what he has been charged with doing. Before Jesus embarks on his mission, he gets a pep talk of sorts, a strengthening of the spirit, and he will go back to that well over and over again. The Holy Spirit comes to Jesus early in the gospel. It's the first thing we hear about. Jesus is baptized, and then he prays. And when he prays, the heavens are open, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. That's important for us to know. And we'll see again and again the action of the Spirit and Jesus in Luke's gospel. And then we'll see Jesus pass on the Spirit to his followers in Acts, which is also written by Luke. We see it over and over again in Luke's telling of Jesus and his disciples. Over and over again, we will see prayer as a spiritual act of courage, 
an act of courage that opens us up to seeing a new world order found in Christ, an act of courage that will lead us to perhaps blessing those who wish us harm, an act of courage that takes us to the cross again and again, an act of courage that helps us put our feet down when we cannot see the whole path. But first, we see Jesus doing these things. Here at the very beginning, we are shown how the Holy Spirit came to Jesus. We're given a glimpse of what it is to come, of the new world order. Jesus is baptized and then is praying, and in that time of prayer, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. The action of the Holy Spirit will be shown to us. So when, oh, that is a repeated paragraph. I'm so sorry about that, folks. We can't always see clearly who Jesus is, who God is. Sometimes it feels like God is hiding behind a full-body costume and all we are left with is questions and guessing. What Luke is going to show us is that the Spirit of God dwells in us, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we too are a new creation, loved, welcomed, and accepted. And when we can't see clearly enough to know God, Jesus models for us how? In prayer and courage, so that we may boldly step forward even when the ending is unclear. And that, my friends, in today's world is a revolution. So may we be bold as we hurl our songs and prayers at the darkness, trusting in the one who names us beloved. Amen.